On WFAN, it's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. As always, Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. A frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction addicts like myself. Joining me as always from Epic Risk Management, our pal Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How you doing? I'm great, Craig. It's good to be back this week. I'm doing well. How are you? Good. See, I do every Saturday. Danny takes a Saturday off, a Saturday on, a Saturday off. But uh, if Dan's not here, it means he's on a college campus somewhere in America talking to uh, athletes about the dangers of gambling. So uh, it's uh, always good to bust his chops a little bit. And uh, happy to have with us today from Indiana, uh, Tom. Tom, like Dan and myself, is a compulsive gambler. Tommy, thank you for joining us today to share your story. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How long has it been since your last wager? Uh, last bet, January 15th of 2020. Okay, so you got uh, uh, almost a couple years in. And uh, how is life right now without gambling? Um, it's, it's not easy. I mean, it never gets easier the older I get, but, uh, it's definitely better than it was when I was gambling. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I'm glad you said it that way. You know, a lot of people yeah. think, uh, when they hear people like me, you know, uh, four years in recovery or Dan, 12 plus years in recovery, that it's easy. And it's not, that's the reality of it, that, you know, you gotta be cog- cognizant every day of the reality that, you know, any day could be the day that for whatever reason, we wanted making a really bad decision. So I'm glad you uh, you framed it that way. Let's go back so we understand a bit of your story. When did you start gambling, even before it became a problem for you? How young were you? My first memory of gambling was probably like 8 or 10 years old. I remember sitting down around the fireplace with my dad, and he was he was a blackjack player. That wasn't my game, but uh, you know he taught me how to like count cards, and, and that whole thing is my first like vivid memory of me learning how to gamble that's interesting but it wasn't a problem uh did your dad have a gambling problem or no you know what i don't think so he lived in vegas for a few years and i never i don't believe so i've you know honestly my dad is not in the loop on my gambling history and issues so i've never opened up to him about it maybe he has and i don't know it um but to my knowledge i don't think so so as we as we sit here today your dad is unaware that you're a compulsive gambler Correct. Yep. Huh. Uh, I'm interesting. How do you continue to hide that from him? You know, it's it's been enough years since I've been out of the house. Um, you know, we're we're close, but not super close. So there are people like my mom or my sister that I'm very close to that are in the loop on uh, the issues I've had and what I'm doing about it. But uh, I just haven't had that conversation with him yet. Gotcha. All right. So let's let's talk about how you went from learning how to play blackjack as a kid to gambling yourself. Well, do you remember what you were gambling on and how, how it became an issue for you? I sure do. Um, it's, it all started out with, you know, po- poker was my game. We'll start there. And I remember, you know, getting a styrofoam cup full of pennies and, and heading over to play with my friends and, and having fun and enjoying that. And that turned into, if you remember, like the Chris Moneymaker World Series of Poker days. That changed the world for everybody when it came to poker. An average regular guy, not a professional, walked into Las Vegas and came out with, I think it was, what, like nine million bucks and the the bracelet. Yeah. Yeah, it it changed my life for the worst. (laughs) So uh, after that happened, that happened when I was in high school. And that's when we started doing the home games, playing with friends, getting together, throwing a few bucks down. 
uh, that really changed in in college when I learned how to uh, play poker online. That's when that's when my life really changed. That's when the addiction really started to take hold. And how often would you play poker online? Like at the height of your addiction, was it a you know ten hours a day, twelve hours a day? Uh, walk us through how bad it got. The worst, which my story is kind of weird because it got at its worst when I was like at my brokest, uh, heavily addicted, was back in college. And that was like, hey, I'd get done, get done with class. I'd go play poker until three, four in the morning. Then I'd pass out and sleep through all my classes and then start playing poker again. So it was eight or 10 hours a day that I would have been playing at that time. So Dan, Um, let me bring you in here on that real quick. You know, it's, it's similar to a lot of stories we've heard where it's the introduction starts with, you know, a dad, an uncle, a big brother, something like that. But what's interesting about uh, Tom's story is that he didn't follow what his dad was doing. He didn't become a blackjack player, and he played online more than anything, which there's a, there's a solitude to that. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It does follow that kind of that progression. You know, it started off, like Tom said, it started off as a good time. It was with pennies. It wasn't about the money. It was about social connection. It was about hanging out with peers. It's what your friends are doing. And then it kind of progresses from there. And, you know, the poker is an interesting one. And Craig, it's something I always think about what you have said in the past, you know, me, I wasn't a poker player. That wasn't my problem. Blackjack and sports was mine, similar to you with blackjack because poker, you have to fold. What was it? About 70% of your hands, right? Probably more than that. So there was, but yeah. Or, you know, just to be good, maybe more, but just, so there's not enough action. But it's interesting when you can start doing these things that make you feel good, and then you're looking to do it for, more, for longer periods of time, more days during the week, increasing dollar amounts. And there comes a point where, you know, we start to feel this pull to kind of do it by ourselves because maybe there's a fear of judgment from the people that we were gambling with. You know, that peer support, I'm a little worried about what my peers will think. And so I'm also going to now supplement this good time with my friends. I'm going to do it the way I really want to do it, which is for bigger stakes, longer periods of time. And we start to go down that hidden route, that isolating route. So, Tom, did you get to a point when you were playing multiple games on the screen at one time? Yeah, I mean, I could fill up as many screens as I could get a computer to hook up to. Right. Got it. And when you play online, obviously you need some level of credit. How did you fund all this uh, poker? I mean, a lot of it was just, uh, you know, draining my bank accounts, you know, till there was nothing or negative numbers left. Uh, you know, there were some some other pieces of that puzzle. There's definitely some money that I shouldn't have used like that on my own. Uh, you know, uh, definitely some folks that would be mad about knowing how I used some money. So there, there were different ways that I would find to fund it, but I always found a way. Right. So you'd go to someone, a friend, a family member, borrow money for some other reason, but actually use it for gambling. I got you. And then this becomes a problem in your life when? While you're still in college or when you got out of college? Kind of both. So the, the, real, the real issues were, were hit in college. Uh, you know, I really narrowly escaped, um, you know, getting cars repossessed or getting kicked out of my apartment. Like, I was getting very close to all of those things. Right. Um, but I had this period of time after college where I'd gamble for a couple years or take some breaks. Uh, where I really started to hit the big consequences is once I got married, had kids, had a family, and my, my actions were affecting other people uh, more than they were affecting me. So did your wife know that you liked to gamble a lot, and did it become a problem where she called you out on it, or did something else happen? 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those evolutions where when I met her, yeah, she knew I liked to play poker, and it's not that big a deal when sure. you're just dating each other in college. Sure, he plays poker, no big deal. Um, and then it slowly turns into like, all right, you're doing that a lot. Then it turns into, all right, you're in trouble when you're doing that, and I don't want to see that on your bank account. Right. Um, again, then you start getting busted a number of times, and, and then it came to a head, of course, uh, you know, at some point when I started recovery. Well, I would think, so how long do you think while you were married and had kids, were you lying to your wife and hiding or trying to hide the amount of gambling you were doing? Oh, good question. Uh, I think there was probably a year when I started dating my wife. At that year point, that's when it's like, okay, time to take things a little more seriously right. uh, until I quit. So it's probably nine or ten years. Yeah, because she's like, hey, this is our money now. This isn't just your money, and I want to go out for dinner tonight. I want to go on a vacation. I want to buy the kids this and that. And all of a sudden, uh, they start looking at bank statements and they don't like what they see. I experienced it. Dan experienced it. And I'm not saying this uh, in a chauvinistic manner because it happens in reverse, too. When the wife is the gambler and the husband isn't, it's the same exact conversation. Where'd the money go? And there's only so many excuses a caring, loving spouse or partner is going to accept before they figure out that you're lying to them and that you're doing something uh, beyond the scope of what's quote-unquote normal, like a Friday night game of poker with your buddies in the basement is fine. Seven days a week, eight hours a day of online poker stars is not fine. Right, yeah. So we've all, we've all lived yeah. it. We've all been there. What, for you, Tom, was the kind of bottom-of-the-barrel moment, if you don't mind me asking, like what eventually made you wake up the day you woke up and said, I need help. Uh, what was that come to Jesus moment for you? What happened? Yeah, my, my kind of cornerstone recovery moment, which, you know, I envy the men and women that, that did wake up one day and say, I have, I've had enough and I'm going to do something about it. I didn't have that. Uh, I did not enter recovery on my own terms. Uh, story kind of goes like this. In uh, March or uh, in January, excuse me, of 2020, uh, that was the time I got busted. I started getting some questions from my wife that I couldn't answer, and she was extraordinarily pregnant at the time. And that all came to a head one day where I uh, put my oldest down for a nap, and then she confronts me. Uh, obviously, very difficult conversation for her. Super proud of her for being able to do that and, and lays it all out. Here's what I know you've done. I've, I've tracked you. Like I, I see all these things, and you screwed up. And the part that sticks with me in my head is she told me, I, I feel stuck with you. <laughs> and from the person that's chosen me out of you know, the 7 billion or 3.5 billion people on earth that she could have chosen, I'm supposed to be the best one. And she's saying, I want to leave you, but I can't because I'm very pregnant, financially reliant upon you, and you violated my trust in the biggest way possible. Um, consequences from that were... As she, she was very pregnant, not pregnant enough to have a baby. And so she started going into early labor mainly due to that stress, that day that she confronted me. Right. And we ended up having to go to the hospital, have my mom come over uh, to, to watch my daughter while we were there. Um, and I remember being in the hospital, and they're having to fill my wife full of morphine and drugs to stop labor from happening. And I'm thinking, hey, this is great. I'm off the hook because uh, this other thing is going on, and the pressure's off me. And I look back and feel so terrible that I really could have 
affected the life or well-being of of my kid and seeing an actual physical representation and consequence from my actions just you know lit me up and and that's when i knew that my life was changed forever wow i appreciate you sharing that's very deep we'll take a break on that and we'll continue on with tom and uh, dan it's uh, craig carton and hello my name is craig Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you, Dan Trelauer, of course, Epic Risk Management, and Tom in uh, Indiana, who's kind enough to share his story and a very emotional ending uh, in the last segment where, you know, your wife went into early labor because of the stress involved with her finding out that you were gambling. And that was the day, that was the epiphany for you to, uh, to decide, hey, I'm going to go get help. How, how long did it take you from that day to really get to a place where you felt that you could get through a 24-hour, 48-hour period, not without thinking about gambling, but without gambling? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I mean, immediately. I didn't gamble after that, uh, but I think – all of the all of the things happening at that time, if we look back at that time just in the world, I had every advantage to not gamble. I had you know we were in the hospital for a couple of days right then, so I didn't have any access to to do anything uh, and then it took me a few days to get to my first g a meeting and then after that uh you know it it was one day at a time, but I could manage it and uh the, the urges were there, but at least I had people helping me out. Yeah, but it's so interesting, though, that you know, for two days in the hospital, you didn't gamble. So I, I would think that at some point, that probably uh, lit a light bulb for you as well. Hey, I just spent two days because, well, I was distracted. My mind was on something far more important. I think it proved to you that you were capable of going a day or two days without gambling. And I want to be Dan on that. I think, Dan, for a lot of people, myself included, I think there's the fear that we spend so much time gambling and then beyond that, so many hours thinking about gambling, about where we're going to gamble, where's the money coming from, how am I going to do it, what's the lie I'm going to tell, that it becomes all-encompassing, that we can't rationally kind of, we can't rationally figure out how to live without it. Like when a lot of people, myself included, are told you're never going to gamble again the rest of your life. It's hard for us to process that. Wow. I was just talking to somebody about this who's struggling. They're in early recovery. And it's that realization of all of the time wasted. You know, in life, we have basic human needs and basic purpose. And, you know, I, I'm reading a great book uh, right now that talks about the, the feelings of security, the feelings of, of being needed and wanted, right, um, and, and making a difference, having a sense of purpose, a sense of usefulness. And when we come to this realization that all of this time that we've been spending is really becoming a waste of time. It's how do you fill those days and how do you wrap your brain around all that time that's been wasted? You know, how do we want to be remembered? You know, what difference, what impact am I making? Am I going to be known for all the years I spent gambling or do I want to be known for something that's bigger and more meaningful? And so there's a lot of emotions that we wrestle with in the early days of recovery of saying, wow, I can't believe I spent all that time. What was I thinking? And we kind of beat ourselves up over it because I think when you look at it rationally, you're like, of course, I'm not going to win. Of course, that's how these beautiful casinos are constructed. Of course, that's how the uh, operators make so much money. What was I thinking? You know, I'm such a, 
Yeah, and you fill in the blank. You know, I'm not worthy. Uh, and we start going down this negative path. But at the end of the day, this just shows how powerful addiction is. It hijacks the brain. It's a, it's a dysfunctional relationship with this never-ending goal that we're never going to reach. Because every time we feel good about something with gambling, we're looking for that next level to hit. And our tolerance grows. So it, it's a moving target that we're never able to achieve happiness, peacefulness, or contentment. And we just there's so much that floods. I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say on this, obviously, because it's something I felt. Craig, you felt it. People in recovery have felt it. There's so much to process. That's why we encourage people to talk with professionals, join a peer support group, get in with people who've been there and have done it, so that you can have fellowship and and resources at your disposal. Yeah, for me, I, I never I never tried to convince myself that I would never gamble again the rest of my life. I just had to convince myself I wasn't going to gamble today. And that was the only way that I could process it in a meaningful manner and achieve the goal, right? Like, Tom, I'm sure you're, like, you're a goal-oriented person. Dan, I know you're a goal-oriented person, and I am the same way. And if I had said to myself, all right, I'm never going to gamble again for the next 50 years of my life, I'd be gambling right now. There's no doubt about it. It's when I said to myself, I'm not going to gamble Today, I'm not going to gamble tomorrow. I'm not going to gamble on, you know, tonight's football games. Uh, I'm not going to play blackjack this weekend, that kind of stuff. I was able to, I think I was able to make it a more manageable period of time where I knew I could get a win because I wanted to win. I wanted to beat the demon of addiction, and I couldn't do that when I thought about it, you know, in the 30,000-foot view of I'm never doing this again the rest of my life. Craig, you just reminded me when I went into my second GA meeting, and thank you for it. Just I just had a flashback of something I haven't thought about in years, and that's why I love doing this with you. I remember walking into my first meeting, and I, I never went back to the first meeting I ever went to in North Jersey because a guy came up to me after and said, "Just so you know, you're never going to be able to gamble for the rest of your life." And that didn't sit well with me. I couldn't comprehend just the next five minutes, let alone the rest of my life. I ended up going to my next meeting, and a guy comes up and he goes, "Have you ever eaten a steak before?" I was like, yeah, I've eaten a steak before. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? He goes, do you put the whole steak in your mouth at one time or do you cut it up into little pieces? I said, you cut it up into little pieces. He goes, exactly. And when you're a child, do they give you steak or do they give you baby food? I said, they give you baby food. He said, so you're a baby in this program right now. We're going to start you off small, one step at a time, one minute at a time with baby food. Then you'll work up to your little pieces of steak. And that's how you're going to get through this one little bite at a time. And for Craig, 12 and a half years, that's been working. Yeah. So, Tom, for you, what's the most difficult part? Because when we started this uh, conversation, you said almost two years into your recovery, it's still not easy. What's the hardest part for you? I think the hardest part is there were so many different character deficiencies that were masked by gambling and that I could compartmentalize and bury and in recovery, one of the tough things is I have to learn the reasons why gambling appealed to me, what I was looking for from it that is different from just an adrenaline high or things like that. I think having to confront those things head on is scary for me as an escape gambler. Got it. And what do you do now to pass the time? I imagine play with a, a baby. That, that, that doesn't hurt. That's always, uh, you know, fulfilling. But how have, you, how have you filled the time you used to use on gambling? A lot of that time, to your point, is, is raising kids. So uh, a lot of intentionality around being a better father, which I wasn't a good one for years. Uh, I think the another thing is I go to the gym. Man, I get a lot of the same feelings and a lot of the same rush I get from, 
from gambling, from going to the gym. I've replaced a lot of time with that. And I guess the best way to end this conversation with you, at least, Tom, is the way we try to end a lot of them. And that is there are a lot of people that listen to the show that are at step one. You know, they're not two years in, a year and a half in, 12 years in, four years in. They're at step one, and it's overwhelming for them, as it was for you and me and Dan and everybody else. And I wonder for someone that has currently overcome the addiction and gotten to a really good place where you're not gambling anymore and you're living a healthier life and you're a better dad and better husband, what advice would you give to the guy or gal out there that's about to go to their first meeting or is coming to terms with the fact that they have a problem today? When I think about my first meeting and I think about sitting in the parking lot crying, thinking of all the, the reasons why I'm there and this isn't the type of person who I'm supposed to be, but that was the hardest thing. If you asked me three years ago, you want to go on a radio show and talk about all the terrible things you've done? That would have been my biggest nightmare. And those things, going to meetings, coming here and doing this, has become the best part of my day, best part of my week, one of the best parts of my life. Yeah, I appreciate saying that. Dan, I tell people all the time that there's a period of time where you go, at least uh, let me just speak for myself, yeah, I went from having great shame and embarrassment about what I did to now wearing it on my sleeve. And I'm not proud of what I did. I'm proud of who I've become. And I have no problem now. You're walking down the street. If you wanted to put a scarlet letter on my chest saying, you know, gambling addict, I'm good with it. Like, I'm proud of what I've accomplished in beating this disgusting addiction and the demons that led me to go down a really bad road. And, yeah, that doesn't happen overnight, but I, I feel blessed that I can announce to the world that I'm an addict and I don't feel any shame about it anymore. Yeah, I think that's part of the recovery road, you know, kind of embracing who we are, our flaws, our successes and our failures and kind of saying, listen, I'm a human being. I'm flawed. I make a lot of mistakes and I'm working better and trying to be a little bit better each day. I own what I've done. I'm, I'm making amends and we will not get approval from everyone that we come across and being okay with that. Because one of the things in active addiction as a gambler, I know I'll speak for myself um, and some of you might be able to relate is that I was constantly a people pleaser. I, it mattered to me what people thought, even though I would say it did. I would, I don't care what you think deep down. It did. And to move away from being a people pleaser to just being authentic and vulnerable, and this is who I am, take it or leave it, you know, just this is who I am. And owning who that is and being a part of the recovery process while remaining humble, thankful, grateful is just part of the growing process. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Tom, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today and sharing your story. I do think it goes a very long way to helping other people get to a place where they're willing to share their story and get the help they need. And I wish you the best of luck. And I'm really proud of you uh, for getting as far as you've gotten. And uh, always know that you can always use Dan and me as a resource if you ever need anybody to talk to. And I wish you the very best. Hey, thank you both for letting me share. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Take brother. care. All right, Dan, we will do this again next Saturday. And uh, where are your travels taking you in the next couple of weeks? What campuses are you going to? Oh, thankfully this week uh, coming up, um, we're just getting things teed up. But we have Detroit Mercy coming up. We have Oakland University right outside Detroit Mercy. Then swinging over to Chicago State. We're going to be up in DePaul. 
Um, and then um, um, down in Pennsylvania, a little Division II, a little Division three school, Lincoln University. Uh, some of our staff going to be out in Berkeley, out in California. Great. Uh, we're getting out to Oklahoma State in the fall, so some bigger schools. And we've got just a lot of schools lining up. It's going to be an active fall, Craig. So you might be solo once or twice, but I'll dial in from the airport whenever. All good, all good. Always <laughs> appreciate the time and the work that you're doing and the friendship. And uh, we'll do this again next Saturday for sure. That's Dan Trelauer. Danny works for Epic Risk Management. Our thanks again to Tom, a gambler in recovery out in Indiana. Kim Jones is coming up next. And then Evan and I are back together again Monday at 2 o'clock, live from Hard Rock at Yankee Stadium for Yankees-Mets Monday night. So we will see you again Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock, live from the stadium. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.